When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Uh, I'm Phil Kitramelides, Sid Lowe is with me as ever. Sydney, we're recording on a Monday morning. This doesn't usually happen. No, I think I feel slightly disoriented. It's strange. Usually we're recording at the end of the day on a Monday. We're all a bit frazzled because it's been a busy day. But today we're, we're nice and fresh, aren't we? Oh yes, that's definitely yes. how we feel on a Monday morning. Absolutely. <laughs> Full of the joys of the world. Definitely didn't have a very, very late night broadcasting live about Spanish football on TV around the world, did we, Sid? Anyway, no. um, you, uh, you, you got home late from the Civitas Metropolitano. I got back to the hotel late after La Liga TV. But we're here uh, to tell you what happened on match day 27. This is what happened. Let's never, ever speak about Friday night's game, Mallorca nil, Osasuna nil. It was really bad. It was a really bad game of football, uh, so we won't ever mention yeah, it Yeah, it wasn't much fun. Uh, Saturday saw Girona beat Espanyol 2-1 in a controversial Catalan derby, a controversial slash <clears throat> non-existent penalty for Girona late on, uh, giving them all three points. It's a result which has left Diego Martinez as Espanyol manager on the way out. He's about to be sacked. He hasn't at the time of recording, but by the time you're listening to this, he almost certainly will. Four consecutive defeats for Los Pericos. Uh, Athletic nil, Getafe nil. Also wasn't a great game at San Mames. Uh, Cadiz nil, Sevilla two. A massive win for Sevilla in the first game in charge for Jose Luis Mendilibar, beating their uh, local rivals uh, thanks to goals from Yusuf Enesiri and Lucas Ocampos. And Barcelona going to the bottom side, Elche. And winning 4-0 in a game which saw Robert Lewandowski and Sufati and Ferran Torres all get on the score sheet. Said there are 58 points between Barcelona and Elche uh, in the table. A pretty, pretty big gap. Uh, then on Sunday, Celta 2, Almeria 2 at the Estadio Balaidos. Almeria remained the only side in La Liga yet to win away from home. I don't think you can avoid a relegation if you go all season without winning away from home. That's what Almeria are attempting to do at the moment. Yeah. They still haven't won and they're still in the relegation zone. Real Madrid thrashing via the lead by six goals to nil at the Bernabeu. You were at the stadium to watch this game, which started actually quite promisingly for via the lead yeah. and ended up really quite terribly. A first half hat-trick for Karim Benzema. The first... First half hat-trick of his career uh, for uh, Real Madrid, Benzema. Uh, some nicely taken goals. Uh, Villarreal beating Real Sociedad 2-0 at the Estadio de la Cerámica to put themselves right in the battle for fourth spot. Speaking of fourth spot, Atletico Madrid are nine points clear of, uh, of fifth after beating Real Betis 1-0 thanks to a late goal from Ángel Correa, which means that Los Rojiblancos are almost guaranteed Champions League football next season. Absolutely vital for them economically, and it means that there's a, a pretty interesting battle for fourth between Betis, Villarreal 
and Real Sociedad. Monday Night Football is at Mestalla. It's Valencia against the mighty Rayo Vallecano. It's going to be another busy week for us over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We're going to have a, a Q&A pod out on Tuesday answering all your questions. A bonus pod on Thursday talking Barcelona against Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey semi-final. And also we've got Osasuna against Athletic Club. And there's also the latest episode of our new series Rincón Cultural. So make sure you get involved over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP you get to join the fantastic community we've got on the TSFP Discord as well and we're now offering annual memberships with 10% off so come and join us patreon.com forward slash TSFP right that was the big sell to the football uh, we did have Barca and Real Madrid winning winning big this weekend Barcelona 12 points clear of Real Madrid the title race is all but mathematically over. Why don't we start with the game that you were at last night, Sydney, at the Civitas Metropolitano, a really big game between Atletico Madrid and Real Betis. It was won by a fantastic goal from Ángel Correa, once again coming off the bench to uh, prove to be Atletico Madrid's get-out-of-jail card with a, with a lovely goal. Atleti, they deserved this victory, didn't they? Although Betis did actually play quite well. Yeah, it's quite difficult to to decide which team deserved this. I suppose if it had been a draw, we wouldn't. We certainly wouldn't be saying that it was particularly unjust on either team. The Betis players coming coming up the tunnel at the end of the game, and Joaquin in particular, were very conscious that a really good result had slipped away from them, and that they felt that they'd that they'd been really unfortunate not to win it. And Joaquin was was kind of coming up the tunnel, basically kind of shaking his head and and shouting about how unfair football can be. Not shouting about any decisions, not complaining at anyone. Just that kind of sense of I don't believe this has slipped away. Oh, from it's us. not fair. And 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 obviously he will have felt that. I think almost more than anyone else because he came on and immediately provided a brilliant chance for Medanda and then had a shot yeah. of his own that, 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 that went just past the post. I think in terms of clear chances, there aren't a huge amount throughout the game, are there really? And there's, there's, there's the two early opportunities for Borja Iglesias when he gets into the area. And I think on both occasions probably makes the wrong decision. Uh, Griezmann has yeah. an early shot, goes just wide. I think Atletico just about carried the, the the weight of the game but but they certainly didn't didn't dominate but I think in the end this was probably the way it was going it was going to be decided with with one moment because while we had a really good opening 10 or 15 minutes it then settled into into a slightly more I don't know how to describe it a cautious approach shall we say from both teams I thought I thought technically it was a pretty good game yeah. it just wasn't a particularly open one uh, let's talk about what this result means rather than perhaps the actual game itself. It does mean that Atletico Madrid are nine points clear of fifth place. So it does mean, all but mathematically, they're guaranteed Champions League football, which, as we said, is absolutely vital for their project economically. Not being in the Champions League would be disastrous. It was pretty disastrous as it was going out in the group stages this season. So they they, they need to be back in it next season, which it does look like they're going to be. And it also looks like that means Diego Simeone is definitely going to stay for another year? Well, it certainly changed the way that everybody feels about his future. It may even change the way that he does, although you wonder with Simeone, because even in those those kind of three, four weeks um, just after the World Cup, before we realised that they were starting to gather speed, uh, speed, and he was actually saying at that point, wasn't he? He was saying, I like what I've seen post-World Cup. And I remember after the game where I think they drew... 
was it the 1-1 draw with Getafe? And it really wasn't very good at all. And, and there was a kind of a sense that this doesn't look great. But actually, look, it's, it's 10 games unbeaten for them now. They've only lost once in 2013, and that was 1-0 against Barcelona, when they were pretty unfortunate, I, I felt, to lose. And, and there's, a, there's a sense of something kind of building now than finding their feet, which is not that easy to put your finger on. I, I really quite like Simeone's approach to this in the, in the pre-match press conference this weekend. He was asked about this, and he said, look... We build from the defence. And his point really was that that's not the same thing as saying we build only a defence. He says that's, mm. that's the starting point. And, and he used a, quite a nice way of putting it. He, he said, I think people have misinterpreted us at times. Yes, that's where we begin it all. That's where we, we, we set everything up. But that's not all there is. And, and I think one of the things that's changed post-World Cup is I think you were seeing a team that wants more of the ball. We're seeing a team that's scoring more goals. I think we're seeing a team that has that has found a structure that works, um, not necessarily for Griezmann, because I actually think Griezmann himself was playing okay before, but where the other pieces seem to fit better around him. You also, if you look at it in terms of what it is they're trying to achieve, well, we've seen a return to the team of Mario Mosso, and that's not about defensive strength. Admittedly, it's an extra defender, but it's about having a defender who has the ability to bring the ball out from the back. We're seeing a role for Koke as the as the as the deep line midfielder rather than him with someone else. So, in other words, you're saying that your defensive midfielder is someone who is positional, uh, someone who is intelligent, and someone who uses the ball rather than necessarily someone who is athletic and tough. And so, I think that's a shift towards having a bit more of the ball. Um, we're seeing decent performances from Rodrigo de Paul, which we really hadn't had at the first half of the season, and that, in theory at least, is a midfielder who wants to play. We're also seeing Marco Chirente be a midfielder and not be a fullback. And I think that that's changed things. And, and actually, yeah, the, the, the consequences of this are it does feel like this is a reinforcing of Simeone's position. And there's another reason for it. And I, I'm reluctant to go too far down this route. But I think, I think it would be naive not to, or at least I think it would be remiss not to. And that is to talk about the departures. Mm-hmm. And one in particular, of course, which is the departure of Jao Felix. Now, even if that is purely incidental in all of this, even if you can just say, well, it's just a coincidence that he goes and things start to fall in place. What it does, I think, is at some intangible level or some subconscious level or, 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 or an emotional level is it says the moment in which we started to say, OK, Diego, you do it your way. Actually, it started to fall into place. And, and I, I think that reinforces him. Of course, they still have a problem with Jao Felix, which is what do they do with him in the summer? And because you might not find a buyer, you might not find a place for him to go, you might not find a proper solution to something that genuinely was a problem. And we were talking, weren't we, earlier in the season about a little bit of a, a standoff between the club, Simeone or João Felix. And certainly given that João Felix has gone, Atletico Madrid have gone unbeaten and have reinforced their place in, in, in the Champions League spots, it has reinforced the manager rather than I think than it has. Yeah. I really do, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, so Atleti looking good for a Champions League spot. Betis obviously hugely disappointed with the uh, with the result. You mentioned Joaquin. I, I did a post-match interview with Ayose Perez. I'm not sure I've interviewed anyone who seemed as disappointed as Ayose did uh, last night. He was really, really downbeaten. Maybe maybe he's not the most effusive guy anyway, but he was uh, he was really quite... Um, Seemed quite sad to have uh, to have lost that game, but they're only three points off uh, Champions League spot. Uh, Real Sociedad are fourth with forty eight, then it's Betis on forty five and Villarreal on forty four. It's going to be a very interesting battle uh, for the final Champions League place. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about Barcelona and that four 0 win at Elche. Ansu Fati scoring 
A really, really good goal and an instinctive finish, an Ansu Fati kind of finish. When he gets into the position, he shoots early and he scores a goal that only someone with an innate goal-scoring ability can, can, can produce those kind of finishes. All eyes were him were on him rather after his uh, his dad had gone on the radio in midweek and made some pretty unfortunate uh, remarks which just ramped up the pressure on his son i don't know whether or not that was the the uh, the idea from uh, Bori Fatty but it's certainly what happened the manager played him put him in the starting 11 there were a lot of people out unavailable but he was in the starting 11 and uh, and and he scored as we said all eyes were on Ansu before this game yeah and and it is a really good goal one thing i i'm going to i'm going <sighs> to at the risk of sounding like I'm picking at Ansu, I'm going to, all right, on this goal. And I, I don't want to diminish the, the quality of this goal because he picks the ball up inside his own half. He carries it all the way to the to the edge of the other area and then he hits a really, really good finish, you're right. But I'm going to slightly pick holes in it on, on, one th- on, on two things, actually. One is the defending, which is that he runs from inside his own half to the other penalty area without anyone doing anything. They sort of run alongside him rather than, mm-hmm. rather than actually go and challenge him. That's one thing. And the other thing is... As he was running up the pitch, I don't know if this is unfair of me, so, so tell me what you think. I felt he was running up the pitch and actually he did lack a little bit of confidence to really go at the defender. And I felt he was encouraged to keep going basically by the fact that they kept on standing off to the point at which he almost had nothing else to do but shoot. Now, mm. again, I'm, I'm slightly overplaying that for the, for the sake of trying to make this point. But as he was running... I felt a slight lack of electricity, despite the fact that he ran, you know, there's no getting away from the fact he ran, 50, well, not 50 yards, what, 40 yards and, and then finished with a really good shot. I then think the way he took it is really, really good. I think it's a really, really good finish. But the, the, there was a little bit of me that thinks, I just wonder if he gets into a situation where he's running at, say, midweek, running at Edda Militao, I don't think this happens. Hmm. And not just because Militao's a better defender, but because it felt to me like he didn't actually really dare to go at the defender. It was more that he was carrying the ball to see what would open up. Um, again, as I say, I think that's possibly a little over harsh. But, I, I, no, still... but I think it is worth putting it all in the context that they were playing against Elche. Ex- you know? Yeah, and, and, yeah. and as I say, that the other context of this, of course, is that with Ansu over the last, I must admit, I'm not sure how long it is. Is it six months or so? We've sort of looked at him and thought, is he the player he was? Partly because is he as explosive, as confident, mm. as fit as he wants? And I thought this goal, on the face of it, could demonstrate all three of those things. The explosiveness, the confidence, the fitness to carry the ball 40 yards, the explosiveness to have the pace to get to the area and so on. And yet I just thought the context was all of those things happened almost incidentally. And again, I realise I'm being over harsh here, but, but in terms of that definitive proof that he's coming back to what he should be, I'm not sure still. Um, and, and, and I suppose what he needs is continuity and he needs to do this again in a, in, a, in a quicker scenario, in a more tense scenario and in a scenario where it's more about him saying, you know what, I'm going at you. This didn't fit, that, I think that's the key to me. This didn't think, feel like he was saying, you know what, I'm going to have you. I've got you. <laughs> Uh, maybe in the scenario of a Copa del Rey semi-final second leg on Wednesday night at the Camp Now against Real That's Madrid. That's what I mean, exactly. Maybe. That's what yeah. I mean. I sort of doubt that that will happen in that scenario. But but I, I would love to be wrong because because I think we all thought that Ansu was a very special player. I think we all worried about about his physical fitness and, 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 and possibly even the confidence that goes with it. And so it'd be, it would be really, really good news if this if this is the sign of something. 
Barcelona beating Elche 4-0, Real Madrid beating Valladolid 6-0, both teams resting players ahead of that uh, Copa del Rey game on Wednesday, which is really important for both teams. Barcelona are almost certainly going to win the league. They won the Spanish Super Cup. If they win the Copa del Rey, it's a domestic treble and a historic season for them. If Real Madrid managed to win the Copa del Rey, they will have stopped Barcelona winning a historic domestic treble uh, and, of course, picked up some silver as well. So a massive, massive game coming up in midweek. You were at the Bernabeu for Real Madrid 6 via the lead nil. I was watching on a screen while, while while commentating it felt like the atmosphere wasn't as dead as i thought it might be obviously they won 6-0 so 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 it helps when when the team is scoring goals and and, and playing well what did it like what was it like being in the stadium knowing that essentially the the league season is over for real madrid did it feel flat yes and no so it didn't it you know what it was one of those games where it felt like everyone had come for a fun afternoon and they got it yes yeah if you see yeah. what i mean Um, I I think it helped. And, and, you know, again, I I don't want to project meaning onto people, but it felt to me, at least in the stadium, that it was a sunny, sunny afternoon at the start of the Easter holidays, mid-afternoon, lots of families there, lots of kids there, uh, quite a lot of visitors there, I think, who'd come to Madrid for Easter, whereas a lot of Madrileños leave Madrid for Easter. Um, Hmm. So it felt like (laughs) kind of an occasion... And a day to be entertained rather than a match that mattered, if you see what I mean. So it lacked, it lacked any of the jeopardy or edge of a, of a kind of a real match. But it was fun. It was enjoyable. Do you know how you know that there were a lot of tourists there? Because in the 89th minute with Real Madrid 5-0 up, there were still a lot of people left in the yeah. stands. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not the case. If there had been uh, season ticket holders, they would have gone to avoid the traffic. Yeah, there absolutely. There right. out to enjoy, yeah. Out to enjoy their, uh, their, their day. They enjoyed watching Karim Benzema score this first half hat-trick. Three goals in seven minutes. The final one is a brilliant improvised acrobatic bicycle kick. He hadn't scored a hat-trick in La Liga since September 2021. His last hat-trick came almost a year to the day ago against Chelsea in the Champions League. We remember that one. Um, He's coming into he's coming into form again at the right time. Is that too too obvious a conclusion to draw from this? Obviously, April is a massive month for Real Madrid, not in terms of the league, but in terms of the Copa del Rey and the Champions League, and they need Karim Benzema to be in top form. You say is is that too obvious? Well, it's what Ancelotti said. Now, to be fair, he didn't say it directly about Karim Benzema, but he he said post game. I can't remember the exact phrase, but the phrase was essentially him saying, "The final part of the season starts now." In other words, you know, that, that run to the finish line starts now. And that doesn't just mean the Copa del Rey. It means, of course, the Champions League. It, what it doesn't mean is La Liga. And that's the problem. If, if you give yourself too much of a final run, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to reach the finish line first in La Liga anyway, unless something absolutely amazing happens. Karim Benzema is a difficult one to put your finger on because I think we would probably all agree that it hasn't been a great season. I think we would probably all agree that it hasn't been that good since Christmas. And yet, he's actually been scoring loads of goals. He's been scoring. He's scored a... more goals since the World Cup restart than anyone else in uh, yeah in, in Spain. Yeah, yeah, because I, I believe that. Correct me if I'm wrong. That Lewandowski's goal at the weekend was only his third this year hmm. in 2023. Um, obviously, Lewandowski's had had that suspension and he's had some injuries as well. But he's, yeah, he's not been. I'm talking in all form. competitions as well from Benzema. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 Benzema in, in that sense is playing really well. But you're right, watching him. Hmm. It hasn't felt like he's fully fit. Mm. It hasn't felt like he's at his best. To be honest, in this game, it sort of didn't <laughs> until he scored the first. And then six and a half minutes later, he's got a hat-trick. Mm. Um, I, I think, I think there's, 
there's all sorts of elements with Benzema's game. And of course, we know that one of the... I think the big thing with Benzema, to be perfectly honest, is that the, almost the most important part of his game is what he means for Vinicius. Uh, and, and I think one of the reasons why Vinicius has had such a good time over, over the last 18 months is the quality of the player that he's playing off. And Madrid dressed to the left. They, you know, they push everything to the left. And that means Benzema drifting that side. But that has sometimes, I think, maybe taken Benzema out of the area. These were all goals in the area. Although he, it's they, true that the second weren't. one is more of a... The second one yeah, was, was, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's, it's right on the edge. And that's a different goal to the other two. But, yeah. but they're all from central positions. Although, admittedly, the second one, he's, he's coming in from the left and he finishes it. Brilliant. I prefer that to the overhead kick, to be honest with you. Um, and, and, yeah, maybe this is him coming into form. Maybe not the form of last year, which was just ludicrous. No. And I think we've overlooked quite quickly... <laughs> How unbelievably good Benzema was last year. And I know, look, the obvious thing to say is he won the Ballon d'Or. But it was more than that. What he did in last year's Champions League, I'm genuinely struggling to think of a player who had that much of an individual impact on the Champions League uh, in, in a single season. As, as he had last year because even those brilliant Ronaldo seasons it always felt like there were other people around him mm. even those brilliant Messi seasons you know, Messi's best in terms of numbers was probably 2015 although I'm prepared to be corrected on that and that year both Neymar and Suarez were brilliant as well mm. and so the, the kind of the sense last year that Benzema was the man that won the Champions League um, but yes hopefully he, he, he can be something closer to what he was last year for these for what Ancelotti described as the, the, the final run. It, it is the final run and it is, as we said, a massive month for Real Madrid. They've got Chelsea in the Champions League in, in nine days' time and Barcelona at the camp now on Wednesday night. Uh, let's talk about the biggest game of the weekend, Sevilla's game at Cadiz. Mm. <laughs> the first game for José Luis Mendilibar. He did, I think, what we what we thought he was going to do, and <laughs> just simplify things a little bit. There were no little pieces of paper uh, coming onto the pitch to explain to the players what they needed to do. It wasn't four four two lump the ball up to the big man. No, he's more of a coach than that. And yet, there was an element of being a bit more direct from Sevilla. Certainly, the the second goal that they scored, which is a um, long ball up from Bade, a lovely layoff from. Brian Hill and a decent finish from Endesiri was pretty direct and, and route one stuff. Uh, but Mendy Libar had a bit of time to implement his ideas, 10 days or so uh, since he came in over the international break. And I think this is what we're going to see from Sevilla between now and the end of the season. Just a bit simpler, a bit more direct. Yeah, and he said it himself. Uh, and you're right, actually. I think, I think the, the, um, the, the two images we've had this season of San Paoli sending on pieces of paper and players looking at it as if it's instructions for an IKEA f- wardrobe, you know, that, <laughs> that in a way is the embodiment of this. Mm-hmm. And the, the embodiment of this is sod the pieces of paper, this is what you do. Yeah. And, and, and Mendelibar said this himself. Uh, he said, I'm going to simplify it. He said, there are, there are mistakes we can't make in certain parts of the pitch because Sevilla were, were complicit in their own demise mm-hmm. and that the amount of times that they were caught out by trying to play the ball out from the back, which I don't think is a bad thing in itself. But as Bono had um, intimated the, the week before when he talked about always doing the same thing when you're in a psychological moment, an emotional moment in which it's not coming off, is not a good idea because you're going to end up having these problems. Now, look, I am both reluctant but also very keen to big up Mendelebar. I'm very keen to because I think he's a really brilliant manager. Um, very keen too because it's it's a kind of attractive as a, as an idea as you say that you break from from this kind of spiral and you just get someone who just breaks through it and says forget it don't worry about it we'll do it this way I'm reluctant to because I, I don't want to suddenly say all of a sudden Sevilla's problems are solved because of course it's not that simple and if you look at this game 
Personally, I think Cardiff should have had a penalty mm-hmm. um, at 0-0. I think they have another shout. I still, I think still at 0-0, or is it at 1-0? Still at 0-0, which I don't think is a penalty, but I've seen them given. Mm-hmm. They hit the post at 1-1, and as you say, they get caught by, by this long ball for the second goal. And the first goal, the shot goes for about four people to go in. So this is not suddenly an amazing, severe performance where they destroy Cardiff. But it's significant. It's the first time Cardiff have lost at, lost at home since uh, September, I believe, against Barcelona. Yeah, uh, 10 games. 10 games unbeaten. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the first time Sevilla have won away since back end of October, yeah. I think. Um, it's, you know, this matters. This matters. It also has an enormous impact on the league table. It takes them all the way up to 13th. We, we know that that's a product of what's going on around them, but I think emotionally it changes things. But I think fundamentally that's what Mendeley Bar's there for. And I was told a, a kind of a nice, sort of a nice way of putting this is that when Mendeley Bar goes into the meeting with Monchi, uh, Monchi calls him after Sevilla lose at Getafe so much so that Monchi actually calls him from the stadium still <laughs> at Getafe that's how little time he's, he's decided to think about this they lose to Getafe he's still at the Coliseum when he gets on the phone um, Mendelibar meets him the next day and in that meeting there is no well if we do this well if we do that well if we do the other it is give them the message they want to hear and Mendelibar goes into that meeting and says don't worry we'll sort this <laughs> and that's what kind of they need now it's true that in the end that might not happen we know that and you know he went down last year with Alaves something which by the way really hurts him still he's been down with um Eibar although admittedly it was at the end of a seven-year run which is extraordinary that they've been in the first division for that long but they, they there is that sense of look Sevilla have good players right you get some of the basic stuff right and the quality of those players means that you should be better than teams around you. Uh, we said that Sevilla needed a, a Winston Wolf character to come in and yeah, tell them exactly what to do. That. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what he's doing. That's ex- yeah. That is exactly it. It's like, you do this, you're in brain detail, that's sorted. <laughs> uh, let's see if it is sorted for uh, uh, Sevilla. Uh, a word on Diego Martinez's imminent sacking at Espanyol. As we said, at the time of recording, it hasn't happened, but it is, it is going to happen. This feels like a real shame. This feels like a missed opportunity for Espanyol. I was I was doing the maths and, and, and going over how many managers they've had recently, Sydney. This is a club that in the 23 years of the 21st century, I've had 23 different men in charge uh, of, 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 of the club at, at one point or another. Since Mauricio Pochettino left in, in 2012, nobody's been in charge for more than two years. They've had a, such a huge turnover of managers. And then this summer, they managed to get Diego Martinez. It's a big coup for them, granted. Espanyol yeah. are a massive club with huge potential. They're seventh in the all-time list of uh, La Liga points. So in the all-time table of La Liga teams who have got the most part, they're seventh. This is a big club. Mm-hmm. We've got a big yeah. history and tradition in the top flight. And yet still it felt like a, a big coup for them to get Diego Martinez, who had done extraordinary work, first with Sevilla's B team, taking them into the second division and getting them safe in that second division, and then taking Granada to seventh in La Liga in his first season into the Europa League quarterfinals. An extraordinary CV. And a big, big chance for Espanyol to build something. And they haven't. And they haven't no. for a number of reasons. I think the planning for this season was was wrong. Starting off with the, the, the goalkeeping situation, which they rectified yeah, far too awful. late. Far too late when they had Lecomte and, and Alvaro Fernandez each week trying to compete for who could make the most ridiculous mistakes. Which cost yeah, them goals. 
and cost them points. And it's in this really tight relegation battle, every single point counts. So that goalkeeping error uh, at the start of the season uh, has cost them. They brought in Fernando Pacheco, but it's too late. He was available in the summer. He was available in yes. the summer. They needed someone to replace Diego Lopez, who, who they allowed to leave. Go and get Fernando Pacheco in the summer. They didn't. They got him in January. Um, they, they spent money in January, but they spent money, a lot of money in January when they went down three years ago, didn't they? They, they, spent, they spent 40 million euros in January three years yeah. ago, and they still went down. And I think when you're, when you're spending big money in January, it's an admission that things have gone wrong, they haven't learned from those mistakes, and they're staring down the barrel of relegation uh, again. And, and like I said, I don't know what, what you feel about it, but it does feel like this is a, a missed opportunity to build something with with this manager. Yeah, and it feels systemic, you're right, doesn't it? It feels like it's more than just Diego Martinez. Now, I, I, I feel really disappointed about this for exactly the same reason as you. In truth, I think we all thought when Diego Martinez went to Espanyol, and, and again, let's go back to your point, um, that Espanyol are potentially a very big club. They have a huge fan base. They've got a really good history. But in recent years, it's it's been slightly more difficult for them. Um, but we all felt that actually, oh, he could have done better than that, couldn't he? Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, we did feel that. Yeah. Uh, it did feel yeah. like a coup. It did feel like he was a really good manager. It hasn't. It hasn't worked. I think you do have to, uh, of course you have to, Point the finger at him as well. It's a surprise too because during the international break, which is normally an opportunity to sack a manager, it wasn't an opportunity that they took. Partly because there was discussions with the players who seemed to be on Diego Martinez's side. Now, mm. admittedly, mm. I'm not going to put my hand in the fire for every player in the team. You know, I'm not going to say that every single one of them liked him, but there seemed to be a belief in that. There was a an interesting line from Joselu after the Spain game. Um, he described him as the ideal manager for Espanyol. Said he's a fantastic manager. He's really close. He's, I think he used the word spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, we're we're talking about someone who who in theory the players were behind. And I, I I wonder now what what this does. Now again, it could be that you you change things, but you know, we're looking at the Mendelebar paradigm. This idea that you have someone who simplifies it. Diego Martinez is not an overly complex manager. He's not someone who, who makes the messages difficult, who, who constructs something that's really hard for players to grasp. It doesn't feel, when you look at Espanyol play, like this is a team that has a fundamental conceptual problem, does it? Maybe they're not hmm. hugely attacking, but actually that's not really been their issue. You look at it, Braithwaite's, no, got, no, no. Braithwaite's got nine They've goals, st- Marcelo's got they, 12 They've scored in 89% of their games yeah. this season. Only Barcelona have scored in more. Yeah. They've well, been scoring. There you go. And, 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 and so this is, you know, and in Dardaire, they've got one of, I think, genuinely the outstanding central midfielders this season uh, across the whole division. And yet something has kind of not been right all the way through. You, you're right. The goalkeeping thing is bizarre. And I think that damaged them. And I think they have one or two really big gaps in the squad. And they knew that. And Diego Martinez knew it. Um, and, it and it hasn't come off and, and I yeah I feel quite kind of sad about this and I, I, I do feel like it's a missed opportunity and I just wonder if if it's necessarily the solution that said I suppose you reach this stage of the season and you'll try anything because you don't want to risk going down there's still 11 games left there's still 33 points up for grabs yeah exactly I and I suspect they wouldn't have gone down but but you know every, everybody panics a little bit don't they and everybody thinks well we've, we've got to try something that looks like the, the, the main candidates take over or look guaranteed it's just a case of whether Real Madrid allow it is Luis Garcia 
Not the one who played for Liverpool, Luis Garcia, who's an Asturian uh, centre forward. Not the one who who's played... manager of Alaves either. Not the one who's manager of Alaves either. <laughs> There's a lot of Garcia, Luis Garcia's around. He was he was a striker, played for Espanyol, with, uh, would have played with Real Tamudo at the, that, that sort of era. A good player, very feisty player, very much in your face. Really quite well liked, apparently. But he's coach at the moment of, of um, Real Madrid's C team, basically. And I don't know, it's quite a big leap, that, isn't it? Pretty huge leap, I would say. So let's see if that is the um, the solution to Espanyol's problems. Um, yeah, spoiler, I don't think it is. And <laughs> if, if Luis Garcia does come in now, I don't think he's going to be there in 18 months. So let me just, uh, let, me, let, let me say that. Anyway, uh, that's what's going on with, uh, with Espanyol. Uh, that's just about all we've got time for on today's edition of TSFP. Before we go, a, a quick reminder of what's going on in the Segunda. Just five points separate the top five. Eibar are still top, despite being held to a 1-1 draw by binary fans Real Oviedo. 1-1, 0 1-0, 0-1, 1-0. That's, that's Real Oviedo's scorelines this season. Uh, Granada yeah. are three points behind them. They lost 1-0 at Sporting. Alaves and Levante are both a point further back. Alaves won 1-0 at Huesca and Levante drew 1-1 with Zaragoza. It's sixth against fifth tonight as Albacete host Las Palmas. Thanks very much for joining us for this week's edition of TSFP. We're going to be over at patreon.com for the rest of the week with loads of bonus content. So why not come and join us? It's only four quid a month and you will probably quite enjoy it. If not, we'll be here again next Monday as always. Adios amigos. Cheerio. Network.